0: Hello? Hello? Hello, Winnie. Hello,
1: Bill. Want to make a podcast?
0: Sure. Hey, welcome back to Winnie and Bill Chat. Yes, welcome back. This is our third
1: episode of the Winnie and Bill Chat podcast, which is sponsored by Anchor podcast platform a free podcasting platform that anybody can use so the way this works is I load 10 photos onto our Instagram account which is quiet shutter photo and Bill will open up those pictures and describe what he sees and we'll talk about the backstory what went into that picture what it's all about so the name of this week's episode is why Tucson (laughs)
0: well this picture is a uh, the blooms on the top of Sawara cactus Uh, there's a bird uh, trying to get some um, water out of one of the blossoms on the cactus not sure what kind of bird it is but there certainly was a lot of them around that area
1: so this picture was taken Um, South of Tucson in the Sora Desert, Um, a couple of years ago, Bill and I went to visit our daughter and uh, now son-in-law in in Bozeman, Montana, and they had really cheap tickets to fly to Arizona. So for um, the weekend, while we were visiting Lauren and Cole, the four of us flew to Arizona um, Lauren, in particular, wanted to see saguaro cactus, the big giant cactus. And uh, it was early in May. And uh, perfect time to go to the desert because a lot of the cactus are blooming.
0: Yeah, the, um, the desert, we'd never been down to Tucson at all. And uh, we left Bozeman um and it was about 37 38 degrees and snowy rainy just miserable cold and uh an hour and a half later when we touched down in tucson it was 102 degrees and uh it was just crazy difference in temperature and a little bit of travel Uh, but it it felt good for a while
1: (laughs) it felt good um the trip was really quite interesting because we flew on a Legion Airline, which is sort of an economy airline, not sort of, it is. And um, the four of us um, took our chances on what seats we got. So Lauren and Cole ended up being close to each other, Bill and I were close to each other. But do you remember, Bill, how bad the turbulence was when we were landing in Arizona?
0: Yeah, the pilot came on and said, We're going to feel a little rough pot patch here so make sure that your seat belts are are um, buckled and i've flown quite a little bit but i had never been through that was just crazy up and down and jerking back and forth it really was the roughest ride i ever felt i know when
1: we got off the airplane lauren said i'm never flying again we'll just drive we'll just drive back to bozeman when we're done which was yeah. funny because um, when we planned this trip, uh, Lauren, and, Lauren, of course, was in Montana. We were in Michigan when we talked it all through. And um, I, I think that you and I bought the tickets. They were really cheap. We bought all the yeah. airplane tickets. And then Lauren and Cole were going to take care of the rental car. And we like to, we like, usually when we travel to national parks and whatnot, we like to rent a midsize SUV. Uh, we like to have some four wheel drive and be have a little bit of clearance up off the ground and uh, a little bit of space so you can pack picnic lunches and, and spread out a little bit. And, um, so that's, you know, we've over the years when we've gone out to Montana, we've had a Jeep, we've had a Subaru Outback, we've had a number of cars that have been nice for traveling on dirt roads and back roads. And so we get, we get to the airport, um, and I guess Lauren and neither did we realize that that Phoenix, Arizona, has two airports.
0: Yeah, not very close to each other either.
1: Yeah, you know, one is a big, the big main airport. We've been to Arizona twice now, and both times we've flown into the other airport, which is smaller, and uh, it's the what's it called, Bill the
0: Gateway, Mesa Gateway, Mesa, yeah.
1: So we got there and it's such a surprise when you get to hop off the plane and it's 102 degrees when you left somewhere that was wet and snowy and in the 30s and uh, went to get our luggage and then went to pick up our rental car and Lauren and Cole realized that she had reserved a rental car from the other airport. Whoops i hope she doesn't mind us telling this story i think it's a mistake that anybody could make but um and she she rented it i think through one of those you know rental when you when you reserve something online like a hotel and you go through a hot wire or something like that so she couldn't even get her money back. So we, tried, we We brainstormed, do we get an Uber and go to the other airport to pick up the rental? But if we did that on the return trip, we'd have to drop the rental off at the first airport and take an Uber back to the other airport. And how much would that cost in the end? And for, um, for a weekend, was it worth the price? And in the end, we ended up having to um, just get another rental car. However,
0: there wasn't much selection left.
1: (laughs) There was not much selection. And so, um, so there's four of us, you know, Bill and myself, Lauren and Cole, Cole being the tallest of us all, he's six foot four, which is why he prefers the aisle seat on an airplane um, and doesn't really like flying because it's very uncomfortable when the seats are so close together and you've got those nice long legs so the rental car we ended up with was
0: toyota Yaraz. the smallest
1: y- <laughs> it was a clown car
0: <laughs> yeah
1: it was the tiniest car i have ever seen did it even i mean it had a trunk right or was it a little hatchback
0: no it had a trunk
1: and the trunk was kind of like a glove box right <laughs> so- yeah so we had, you know, luggage for the four of us, plus Bill and I have two substantial camera backpacks also. So we we ended up having to um, sit in the back seat and have our camera backpacks on our lap the whole time that we went anywhere where we brought our camera stuff with us. So it was, uh, that was rather humorous, <laughs> all four yeah. of us in that little yard. It's- So the first thing we did when we got um, to Arizona was we headed to Tucson. And anybody we talked to on the airplane in the airport, um, when they were asking, you know, it seems like the natural thing to ask people, oh, where are you going? Where where are you heading? And uh, we said we were going to Tucson. And what did everybody say to us, Bill?
0: Why Tucson? You should be going to the other end of the state. You
1: should be going to Sedona.
0: Sedona. Sedona. Why aren't you going to Sedona? Oh, you should really go to Sedona. <laughs> Sedona's beautiful.
1: Sedona is beautiful. You should go to Sedona.
0: Tucson's just a desert.
1: Yeah. Well, we'd never been to the desert, and neither had Lauren. I'm not sure if Cole had been down there or not. I don't recall. But um, Lauren's Lauren's idea was she really wanted to see the giant cactus. And... Um, Tucson, the Tucson, Arizona area is where the big saguaro cactus are most prevalent. So that's where we went. Um, do you want to go to the next picture?
0: Sure. So this next picture is a picture of Lauren and Cole. And as you can see, Cole's a legit six foot four, probably six foot six or more with his hat on and the sawora cactus behind them just goes up and up and up it was unbelievably big
1: um i believe that it takes oh i don't remember how many years for a sawora cactus to grow that tall but it's they could be hundreds of years old right i think that they're nearly a hundred years old before they start to sprout the arms on them so for nearly 70, 75 years, they're just a straight-up, straight cactus, and then they start to sprout out the little. I call, I think they call them arms. Uh, you can picture that. And uh, so when you see a cactus that has several arms and is quite tall, it's it's over a hundred years, maybe a couple of hundred years old. Um, yeah, the saguaro cactus were really amazing to see. And as you're driving from, we um went. South of Tucson to the Sonora Desert Museum, which I would highly recommend people visit. Um, but the Sora cactus are everywhere. And in late April and into May, they're blooming. And I always thought of the desert as being just dry and you know, desolate looking and not very interesting, but boy, the cactus are very interesting to look at. And when they're blooming, they're absolutely beautiful. I, I really had no idea.
0: Yeah, the desert's definitely dry, but it's not dead by any means. So the the picture that we're looking at, this third picture, is actually a uh, what I would call a very Spanish style Catholic church. It was uh, just this really cool ornate. Um, in my mind would have been, even though I've never been to Spain, I would call it a Spanish-style um, architecture. Just a gorgeous um, Catholic church that is still an active church um, out in the desert. It's kind of a little ways out from the town itself, but, but um, apparently a lot of people go to it all the time. It wasn't open for us to go inside the evening that we got there, but um, we uh, took a lot of pictures of it. It's a really cool place to go.
1: Yeah, in this picture, this is actually called um, the San Xavier del Bac, And it's a Catholic mission. It was built in the late 1700s. Um, I believe that it was a mission... Church that specialized or or catered to the native um, population. Um, It's also referred to as the White Dove of the Desert. And if you get a chance to look at our pictures on Instagram, you'll see why. The um, Bill already said it looks like Spanish architecture, which it is. There are two towers. One tower is finished with a dome and a cross on the top. The second tower was never finished. In um, doing a little research about San Xavier del Bac, um, it it was never finished, and then it was abandoned for quite some time, um, and left in ruin, almost in ruins. But the um, native people who lived in the area kept vigilance over it and they took all of the artifacts out of the church and kept them in their homes for safekeeping and anytime anybody would come to the church and approach the church they would be right there making sure that people were respectful and that they didn't cause any damage to the church so once it was um reclaimed or re-inhabited um all of the the people brought all of the artifacts back to the church and they continued to um build and restore what was there so one tower looks pretty pretty pristine it's been all restored and looks wonderful the other tower is in progress and the the towers are most of the building is white it looks like white plaster and the plaster actually is a lime plaster that through uh, scientific analysis they've discovered was uh, made with um, the juice from the prickly pear cactus. And it's not painted white at all, that the color is just from the plaster. And evidently by adding the prickly pear cactus juice, the plaster was more um, pliable and breathable so it doesn't um, crack and fall off the way that normal plaster does. So that was very interesting.
0: Um, that is interesting because that area is really quite windy and sand blows around like crazy. You'd think that it would just peel off after a little while.
1: Yeah. I think that that's fascinating that they used the juice from the prickly pear cactus and that they were able to, through analysis, figure out that that's what they did <clears throat> in the picture. It looks like there's not another soul around. There's a stray dog that's uh, walking the sidewalk in front of the, the mission church. Um, blue sky with a little bit of wispy clouds behind it. And it just, uh, I'm really attracted to, I was really attracted to it for taking photos because it's, it's really quite beautiful. Um, I think actually we were there late in the evening, which is an ideal time to visit it because there's that nice warm light of the the setting sun, but there's a huge parking lot in front of it. And I think that it's quite a tourist attraction. And also, as Bill said, it's still an active mission church. So um, people still use it for its, its original purpose. It was beautiful. I'd like to go back when we could go inside. Yeah. Okay, so
0: what's the next picture? So this next picture is... This was in the, um, in the uh, desert museum. There was several uh, areas throughout the museum that were just, um, they were different cactus for different parts of the uh, uh, ecosystem. And this is a picture of a, just a beautiful flower that was coming off of fairly short little cactus But that flower was probably 12 inches in diameter and just these brilliant colors that were everything from a deep purple to a kind of a bright yellow and even like a real green in the middle. It was just breathtaking flower and there was several different ones around there. This one we ended up catching light was just hitting it just right and it really ended up popping out.
1: So in the Desert Museum, there's a about a two mile hike that takes you through the zoo area and the botanical garden area. And um, the botanical garden area, of course, has um, samples of all the different desert cactus and desert plants that you would see in that area. And because we were there at really just the right time, many of them were blooming, and I was just blown away at how beautiful these flowering cactus were. This was just one. I could I could put several posts with 10 pictures on each one just of the flowering cactus and, and desert plants that we saw. Absolutely stunning.
0: Yeah, it was pretty crazy how different in look and texture, and um, it was just amazing how many different kinds of plants and cactus and, and it was just very well laid out and it was just cool to see
1: the saguaro cactus the big cactus that we talked about earlier have a white flower with a yellow center and it and they have several flowers that and the flowers come out of the very tip top of the of the cactus and the ends of the arms and they just sprout out there in bunches they look like a, almost a vase of flowers um, other cactus would just have one on each area of, of its plant. Um, there was, it was just beautiful. I, I, I would love to go back at this very same time of year.
0: Yeah, we need to do that.
1: So what's the next picture?
0: Let's see. Yeah. Oh, the next picture is a big fat prairie dog. <laughs> one, one of the, uh, parts of the the whole area we were in was the zoo as we had said earlier and the prairie dog is one of the native animals from that area and uh this guy looks like he hasn't missed a meal in a long time but he was sitting on his butt with his hands up um just posing like you gonna take my picture oh how do you like this side
1: the prairie dogs were fun the prairie dogs um they were fat they, they, you're right, they didn't look like they missed a meal. Um, these particular prairie dogs are called black tail prairie dogs. And I think in Arizona, they're actually ha- extinct. They still exist in the wild in New Mexico and maybe into Mexico. Um, but I think that the literature I read said that seeing a, a colony or a group of prairie dogs Uh, in Arizona that at the Sonora Museum is the only place you can see that anymore that particular kind of prairie dog the cutest thing about the prairie dogs is that every time they pass one another they greet each other with a kiss so I looked that up to see if and we watched that happen every time they'd run past each other they'd pause and it looked like they were giving each other a little kiss and then they'd go on their way so I looked it up to see if that was Um, if that was true that that is what always happens and what I found out is that uh, prairie dogs do in fact greet each other with what looks like a kiss but really what they're doing is they're touching teeth they touch their teeth to each other and somehow that's a way that they um, identify each other as to who they are they live in very complex colonies um, and they have shared family responsibilities and quite a lot of vocalization they so they communicate with different kinds of peeps and squeals and and whatnot and they say they're very intelligent animals but they're adorable more than anything they're adorable
0: yeah we did hear them making all kinds of different noises and stuff but it was they didn't go past each other without looking like they say like they looked like they were kissing every time they went by
1: that would be awful. Can you imagine if if we as humans had to do that? In, <laughs> every time you pass by another human, you had to stop and and give them a kiss or touch teeth.
0: No thanks. You'd
1: never get anything done, and we'd all be dying of epidemics.
0: <laughs> yes, we'd all be dead by now.
1: We'd be we'd all be dead by now. The um the prairie dog exhibit actually the way that they um the way that they built it, you can see a little bit, you can see them running in their little tunnels underground and whatnot. And there's also supposed to be, um, oh, I don't remember the name of them, the owls that live on in the ground burrowing owls. And uh, prairie dogs evidently are so good for the ecosystem because their burrows, their, their little tunnels and whatnot, are what other animals like burrowing owls take advantage of, and then they live in those holes as well. And there were several animals that depend on prairie dogs to churn up the ground for them to exist.
0: Yeah, it's pretty rocky there, so it's not the easiest stuff in the world to be digging in, but the prairie dogs do a good job of it, apparently. Yeah.
1: And evidently, the reason that they um, have become extinct in Arizona is that so many farmers thought them to be um pests and and they thought that they um took up too much of the resources that their livestock should be eating prairie dogs eat foliage and uh so farmers pretty much eradicated them yep so what's our next picture
0: so the next picture is another picture that uh was taken in the in the desert museum. Um it's actually a picture of a really cool dragonfly. Um we just it was just a freak picture that we were taking pictures of one thing or another, and this dragonfly lit on a little stick a little ways from us and uh Caught this dragonfly with its wings stopped in midair. Uh, kind of a rust-colored dragonfly. I'm sure it's um, just blends into the scenery like the ones around here do. I
1: remember you taking a picture of this dragonfly, and and it, it may have been a freak thing that we noticed it, that we saw it. But you worked really hard to get a good picture of the dragonfly. It was there was a wet there was a pool of water to the side of the exhibit that had bighorn sheep. Right. And the bighorn sheep were really impressive. I was taking pictures, trying to get good pictures of the sheep, trying to make it look like it wasn't in a, in a zoo. And, um, you, this dragonfly caught your eye and you had our nice big long lens and, um, and you took a lot of time resting the resting the camera, the camera with the big long lens, which is a 150 to 600, it's a big lens and it's heavy. And uh, it's, sometimes it's hard when you're trying to take a picture of something tiny like this dragonfly to hold it still enough. So you were resting it on the railing of the observation deck and you were leaning on things and you were laying on the ground and... When you when you find something you want to get a picture of you will sacrifice any amount of comfort or cleanliness of clothing to get that picture. And you did nail it. You got a beautiful picture of this dragonfly.
0: I do like the challenge and it's sometimes like you say the tri- the camera really should have been on a tripod but we were just walking around and um you can always find something to lean on.
1: So the I looked up online um I thought that an orange dragonfly was pretty unique and it must be some kind of um, Southern Southwestern species that you can only find in the desert. And, but then last summer walking around here in Northern Michigan, I saw an orange dragonfly and I thought, God darn it, Bill spent all that time
0: <laughs> to get it and they're around here too.
1: I don't know if it was the same species or not in looking on the internet, there are, particular species of dragonflies and like insects that are specific to the southwest so I'm just I'm I'm just gonna say this was a rare southwestern desert dwelling dragonfly and Bill spent a lot of time getting this
0: picture I just want to say I think it's the last one on earth
1: (laughs) it might be the last one on earth it better be (laughs)
0: Might be the last picture I ever get of one.
1: (laughs) Well, that could be. Now, we'll go back there sometime. Sure. So what's the next picture?
0: Oh, so the next picture is actually a really cool picture that was in, as Winnie mentioned earlier on, um, in this desert museum, there's actually a hummingbird aviator. If you folks are familiar with a butterfly house, This is the same kind of a thing, but it has hummingbirds in it. This is a, I believe this is, is this a ruby breasted hummingbird? No, this
1: is a different one. I was just going to try and quick look up and see the different varieties of where here in Michigan, pretty much the ruby throated hummingbird is the only one we see. But in Arizona, they have five or six varieties. This one, actually, this is the one that had the purple, um, and I think this is the one that could flare its feathers up around its head that made it look like a big, like a crown all the way around oh, its head. Okay.
0: Um, yes, because it has purple, it has pink, it has some orange. There's uh, just almost a rainbow of color around its head.
1: There, I love hummingbirds. So this was one of the reasons that I was super excited to go to the Sonora Desert Museum is because they have this um, hummingbird aviary and it's so spectacular. You walk in, of course you walk in through a couple of different doors um, and chains so that in order to keep the birds in and you can just walk through or they have some benches and whatnot in there you can just sit and watch and these hummingbirds are just flying all around and all around you. there's nothing between you and the hummingbirds if they wanted to light on your shoulder they absolutely could do that yep there um i was i was in heaven in the hummingbird aviator aviary sorry um i could have stayed there the whole time it was hot though it was even hotter in the aviary than it was outdoors
0: yeah the air flowed through there pretty good but it was it was hot and the birds were uh they were still pretty active, actually. I thought maybe they'd be just sitting around, but um, they were quite active. Did you find the name of it?
1: I think it was. It's called an an an. Let me just check. Go back. An Anna's hummingbird. They had rufous hummingbirds, which have sort of orange breasts. They had Anna's hummingbirds that have the purple. Um, kind of a, a fuchsia purple, um, yep. a black-chinned hummingbird that has absolutely indigo purple um, on its chin, a ruby-throated hummingbird, the costus hummingbird. Now that might be the one that the, the feathers flare up around its head. Oh,
0: one, it, yeah, I think, I think so. That,
1: I think that my, oh no, they had a broad-billed hummingbird and their bodies are, are turquoise and blue. Um, and then an Allen. So I there were more than five or six. There was maybe more like seven. Allen's hummingbird was another one. It was, I was, I, I, like I said, I was in heaven. I could have stayed in there and stayed in there. Um, yeah, it was pretty mind blowing. We, um, of course both had cameras with, with zoom lenses on. There were two different hummingbirds that were on nests. Um, they had eggs and you could, if you, especially with a long zoom lens, they didn't, obviously, they didn't want you to get too close to the birds on their nest to to bother them. And there was um, docents within the aviator that were making sure that people were being respectful of the hummingbirds. Uh, But you could see the nests and you could see the little teeny tiny eggs. They're about the size of, um, oh, what are the miniature jelly beans?
0: Yeah, they were like uh the size of a small raisin. It was crazy.
1: Just tiny. And the um they said that when they first opened the hummingbird aviary that the hummingbirds were attempting to make nests and have broods, but the nests were failing and therefore they weren't having successful um they weren't having successful babies. And so they did a little research and what they found was because the aviary, aviary was brand new um and super clean that there weren't any spiders and therefore no spider webs for the hummingbirds to use as nest making material. Evidently spider webs are a very important component of building a hummingbird nest. And it so,
0: binds it all together.
1: Yeah. So they, um, the people who worked at the zoo all went out around the, the desert museum and gathered spider webs and spiders and um, brought them into the aviate. Airy, and the birds built nests that were successful and started to have baby hummingbirds which I thought that was just a fascinating story
0: yeah it's pretty special
1: the, um, the little hummingbird nests were just so precious and I, I debated about posting one of the birds on their on their nest we did get pictures but um, the hummingbird with the beautiful purple on its head won out so Lauren and Cole left, exited the aviary before we did. They they were not taking, I think Lauren had a camera with her, but I don't think they were necessarily as enthralled with taking photos as we always are. But they were very patient. And it was very hot in there. So they at one point decided they were going to go outside and wait for us outside. Um, and uh, so we we took a little more time. And then we reluctantly left the hummingbirds.
0: And went outside and and this next picture is probably one of the best pictures we took and it was uh a, a free range hummingbird bird on a plant outside of the um the museum we'd just been in and it was getting nectar from a couple of really cool plants that were just outside of the the space and uh we thought, wow, we spent all this time and we got a really cool picture of a, a natural, natural, free-flowing, free-flying <laughs> hummingbird.
1: Yeah, we stepped outside and Lauren and Cole were sitting
0: on a bench and they said,
1: kind of like indicated with their hand, come over here, come over here. And and they said, look, there's a hummingbird right there. And sure enough, there was a wild hummingbird feeding on some of the blooming desert plants that were there. And and was there one or two that were together out there it was
0: a pair but we just caught this one i believe
1: we got an excellent picture of this hummingbird that was a wild hummingbird not in not even in the aviator. we were so excited
0: right (laughs) probably was just there visiting the people in prison
1: (laughs) yeah it was there to visit the inmates (laughs) what's the next picture
0: ouch this next pic- next picture is actually a picture of a little uh, part of a cactus that I got a little too close to is it a pi- it's a close-up picture of my ugly foot with a thorn from a cactus that stuck into my toe there was these cactus there that people claimed if you got too close to them they would throw a uh, Spur off of the, their plant onto you, and I thought, yeah, right, whatever. But all of a sudden, this thing just stuck me, and I was like, wow, that really happened. There
1: are some beautiful hikes that you can take uh, south of Tucson. Uh, one is Sabino Ca- Canyon, and I don't remember the name of the of the other one that we were at, and um, gorgeous. Gorgeous hiking trails. There were signs on a couple of trails. One part of the hiking trail was closed due to bee activity, killer bee activity. That's something we don't see in Northern Michigan. No. And another one, it said uh, warning, beware of rabid animals that there had been uh, animals with rabies uh, found in, <laughs> in that area. That's very discouraging. Um, and, We knew we didn't do enough research about the desert before we went. We really weren't prepared the way we should have been for hiking. So the hikes we did were very short. Um, In this picture, you can see Bill's wearing a pair of sandals. Now, that's probably not the best footwear for when you're hiking in the desert. I have to admit, I probably had sandals on as well. It was hot. It was hot. But wearing sandals when you're hiking in the desert is a super bad idea. Really dumb. Really, really dumb idea. Um, This is uh, what Bill got stuck in his toe is called a jumping chola cactus. And the the folklore is that the cactus actually will jump out at you or throw the throw spines at you, uh, which is not really what happens. Obviously, that's that's not what happens. But the cactus sort of grows in kind of has ropey. Arms on it that are just look kind of wiggly, and uh, each segment is not really attached very strongly. They're kind of weak connections. So if you get anywhere, anywhere near it at all, it will it will attach itself to you and break off of the plant very easily.
0: So and then and then you say jump into holy and <laughs> jump into holy. <Jehoshaphats. laughs>
1: This So Bill got a little section of the jumping chola cactus on his, looks like his middle toe, and it was really in there, just below the toenail, right?
0: Yeah, and it hurt.
1: And there's no good way of getting it off, because you're not going to reach down with your hands, and it's got little spines sticking out every direction. I don't even remember how you got it
0: off. I think I had to find another, like a little stick that was on the ground and peel it off my foot. <laughs> not good not good
1: not good Arizona is hot even you know end of April beginning of May I I mean I knew it would be warm I was hoping it would be warm we were all hoping for some nice warm weather and you know they say that yeah but it's a dry kind of warm which is true 102 in Michigan we would all be just dying because of the humidity we have here and it did so it didn't necessarily feel like 102 but it felt like 90 for sure, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hot, but it is not humid, which is right. very, very different. It is different. Felt, definitely felt good coming from 37 degrees and rain-snow mix.
1: But I wasn't hot for putting on socks and hiking shoes. You know, it just no. it felt like, you know, it felt like sandals were the right thing to do, but not the right thing to do if you're going to hike around.
0: <laughs> Correct.
1: So this picture, if you go to um, our Instagram account, Quiet Shutter Photo, and have a look at our pictures, I apologize for Bill's unmanicured uh, toes that you see up close. But uh, let this be a warning to you, too. Uh, When in the desert, wear some hiking shoes. Or even boots.
0: Yeah. So this next picture is uh, a really cool sunset picture that we got um was this this was by the desert museum was it not
1: so this is actually the um sonora sonora desert um national park Sawara. Right. sorry Sawara national park is what it's called and it's when you go to the desert museum if you pass the desert museum and go just a few more miles down the road you get to the Sawara national
0: park And this picture was actually taken right by the Visitor's Center. Um, But the sun is setting. And one thing that we didn't mention about Tucson is it's actually in a big bowl. It's really... All desert down on the floor, but there's actually mountains all the way around the city in the area of Tucson. I was surprised.
1: I was surprised to see mountains. I wasn't expecting the same as when the first time I ever went to Las Vegas. I didn't expect that you would see mountains outside of Las
0: Vegas, but they're there. Same kind of a bowl, actually. All big desert and high, high mountains all the way around it. Apparently, Tucson, we, we never got to take the drive, but there's a drive right next to this area we were in that you go from the desert floor all the way up through um, pines and hardwood and up above the tree line is all this rock and apparently it's only like a two-hour drive you can do it fairly quickly we just never had the time to do it but you get a little bit of a whole different ecosystem from one extreme to the other and back again
1: Yeah, we were only in Arizona for the weekend. We flew in on Friday and flew home on Sunday. And um, so we couldn't do everything we wanted to do. And we spent this whole day at the Desert Museum and then we went back into Tucson proper and had dinner and then came back out to this area to catch the sunset. And we drove into the Sawara National Park. And uh, of course the, the visitor center was closed there weren't that many people, if anybody there. I don't remember seeing anybody else there. Um, I wish we had taken more time and uh, um, I guess we weren't, you know, we we weren't able to, but if we ever go back, we need to take more time and spend a day actually hiking and driving through the, the National Park because it looked pretty amazing. Um, in this picture, the sun is setting, so there's blue sky and the sun setting over the mountains in the distance and a and a large sora cactus in the foreground and it's mostly silhouetted and the flowers on the sora close up at night so the flowers are closed up at night so it just gives the cactus a look of some prickly shoots out on the tips of everything um, it was it was a real magical place too
0: yeah we definitely need to go back and do a lot more exploring there it was it was a cool time and a, a definitely worth doing more than once
1: i think we need to do a little more research we always do this we do a tiny bit of research and then we go places and then we come home we do a little more at least me i do a little more research to see um you know something we saw when we were out there sparked some interest and i'll do a little research and then find out ah we were only you know we were only minutes away from something really spectacular and we just didn't know so um I sort of feel that way about this, the national the national park there. Um, I think it's probably a real a real um, gem, and we didn't spend really enough time there. But I think we need to do a little more research because we are pretty naive when we go to some of these places. Lauren and Cole kept reminding us to stay on the pathway um, in the national park there. They had paved pathways in in some of the areas and. And I kept wanting to step off the path because I wanted to get a different camera angle or something. And they kept reminding me that this is snake country. And, uh, you know, you're not paying attention to where you're going. And you could step on a snake or disturb a snake easily. And I just hadn't even given it a thought.
0: Not to mention the scorpions, which is another reason to wear something other than flip flops. Exactly. And we wore sandals, I think, the
1: whole time. Yeah, we're naive, pretty naive. We're just lucky we didn't get into bigger trouble than the jumping chola cactus. Right. I think that this is the last picture in our series today. Yes. So um, we'll say goodbye for now and uh, hope that you check out our pictures on our Instagram, quiet shutter photo. And uh, we thank uh, anchor podcast platform for hosting our podcast And um, this is our third episode. If you haven't listened to episode one and two, be sure to go back and have a listen to those. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for checking in. Thanks for checking
1: in. Bye.